If I were to put a title over this message, I would entitle it The DNA or Spiritual Birth. Let's look at Holy Scripture together and see if you can find the markers of DNA for the new birth. In 1 Peter 1, after he greets them, Christians in what we would call today Turkey, in verse 3, he cries out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The marks of the new birth, the DNA of being born again. Would you join me in prayer? Eternal God, now at the beginning of this message, still our hearts. Give us ears to hear. And we pray the very words of our Lord that if we being evil know how to give good gifts, to our children, how much more will you give the Spirit to those who ask? And we pray now in this moment of proclamation of the Word of God, you would grant your Spirit blow like a wind, flow through here like a river, burn, glow like fire. Speak, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to recognize that it's been 1989 when it first happened. 1989, the first person was exonerated and released from prison by DNA evidence. Since that time, 358 persons in the United States have been released from prisons in 37 states because of DNA evidence. That's that thread-like double helix of molecules that stamp us with our individuality. Now, the sad thing is the average age of their incarceration was 26 years of age, and the average age of their release was 42. They spent those 16 years falsely imprisoned until DNA released them. Some of you are probably familiar with the company Ancestry.com. Anybody know about that? They help you find your genealogy. You can send them a sample and tell you who they really are. They have some rather clever television commercials, advertisements. You know, it's a guy who thought he was from a German family and wore lederhosen all the time. 
Then he sent in his sample and found out that he was a Scot and had to change it for kilts, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Evidence from DNA. What if there was a DNA test for spiritual birth? A DNA test that could say, these are the markers that you have experienced being born again or born from above. The word can mean either one. Here's Peter writing maybe three, four decades after that night when Peter had been around the firelight, maybe at midnight under the moonlight with Jesus, the 12, and suddenly out of the darkness came a national religious leader. You know the Bible, you know the story of John 3, Nicodemus, be the equivalent of an archbishop showing up at a Christian campfire. He compliments Jesus, but Jesus talks to him as if Jesus were a kind of street evangelist speaking to a homeless person. He said, you, you need to be born again. Evidently, that word stuck with Peter because writing this now, decades later, he uses this word. He caused us to be born again or born from above. Well, if you'll look at this text almost word by word, you'll find the DNA for spiritual birth. It marks you if you have spiritual birth. Give me just a moment and I'll take my seat. The first DNA marker for new birth is that you know you were a person who has received great Mercy. Did you see this? According to his abundant or rich mercy. That word translated according to is really a preposition that suggests in proportion. New birth is in proportion to his great mercy. Thank God it's not in proportion to what I think I deserve because I know I don't deserve it. I'm also thankful it's not in proportion to what you or some other people think I deserve. It's not in proportion to what the church thinks I deserve. It's certainly not in proportion to what Moses and his law think I deserve. That looms over me and condemns me. New birth is in proportion to one thing, and that is God's great mercy. One thing that marks those who have received new birth is a lifetime since thereafter of astonishment that I've received great, rich, undeserved mercy. Sometimes when I've witnessed to people, I've had them say things to me like this, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. I always, I always think about the late Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. I don't know what he meant, but he said he'd broken nine out of the ten. Or even more facile, they say, well, I live by the Sermon on the Mountain. I want to say, have you ever read it? No. Mercy means I'm the object of something I don't deserve. 
That'd be good enough, but look at, we're looking word by word at these DNA markers. It's according to his rich or abundant mercy. That word in the language that Peter wrote suggests to us the English word plutocrat. Now that's an old word, it's not used much anymore. 100 years ago it meant somebody who had so much money they couldn't spend it all. It's the equivalent of saying God is a Bill Gates, a Warren Buffett, a Mark Zuckerberg, agent of mercy. He has so much mercy that if you bring a thimble, he's got a Pacific Ocean full. If you bring an ounce, he's got a ton. If you bring a molehill, he's got a Mount Everest of inexhaustible mercy. Now there's some mysteries about the new birth I don't know, but this I do know. If you've experienced it, you sense that you are a person who has received mercy. That very word mercy is interesting. It's a word that gives us another seldom used English word, eleemosynary. An eleemosynary institution is like a hospital or an orphanage. Active pity. God's mercy is not something at arm's length, detached, analytical, uh, clinical, like throwing down a gift to somebody at a distance. You know, have you ever, did you ever have anybody give you a gift like this? I have. It's Christmas, time to open the gifts, and they said, well, here's what I got you. You're so hard to shop for, I had to go to every store in town, wore myself out. You know what I want to say? Take it back. <laughs> I don't want that kind of gift. Your poet Shakespeare said, the quality of mercy is not strained. And what that means is, is that it's a free gift. And there's about an abundance a personal mercy. This is something that people outside on the street, if we went and talked to them right now, and I'm sure some of your street evangelists would say this. They don't understand that. About a month ago, I was preaching in Memphis, Tennessee. That's right in the heart, center of the United States on the Mississippi River. I speak there at a Bible conference at a big church in the air, and they put me down on Beale Street, which is the center of two things that belong to Memphis. One is barbecue, and the other is the blues, the music that comes out of the Mississippi Delta. And I love to stay down there because I can go into a blues club and listen to the blues and eat barbecue and collard greens. Does anybody know what collard greens are here? They're wonderful. I well, I, every night I was going into the Blues City Cafe, eating barbecue, collard greens, listening. Well, the third night, two ladies were waiting in line behind me to be seated, and I had on a a convention tag, and they did, and they said, are you here for the convention? Yes, I said, but I don't think the same one you're at. I'm here, I'm a Christian minister, and I'm going to a, a conference. And one of them, they were from Seattle, the most pagan city in America. One of them, when I said that, she said, we're just as good as anybody. <laughs> I'm standing there waiting for a table I wasn't arguing with them about how good they were. But you know what? That's a key to what some people outside think the church is about. We're a group of bad people trying to be better or we're a group of 
good people trying to be even better. No. If you've been born again, you recognize that you were a dead person who's come to life. And that's a great misunderstanding. We're not here today. You wanted in here today and say, what in the world are you talking about new birth? I'm not talking about you being just a little bit better. I'm talking about an inrush of new life. And one of the DNA markers is that you've experienced. But let's look at the next one. This is just word by word from the text. The second DNA marker is that you are marked with a living hope. It's right there by the word. He caused you to experience new birth, to be born again into a living hope. Somebody said hope is the oxygen of the soul. You tell me I'm tough. I don't need any hope. My first response is you probably lie about other things too. <laughs> it's the oxygen of the soul. That unusual eccentric uh, Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote in the 19th century. His, my favorite book of his was called The Sickness Unto Death. And Soren said, there's only one thing that'll make you so sick spiritually you can't get over it. Despair. Despair. That characterizes the world in which we live. I, I think many of us were moved in the last few weeks by two internationally noted suicides. That charming, uh, really, first big celebrity chef, Anthony Bourdain's, and then the icon of style and design, Kate Spade. I mean, here were people whose lives embodied what so much of the secular world thinks it wants. And at the height of notoriety and success, out of here. Reminds me of another suicide note. Some years ago, Freddie Prince is a Hispanic TV star, just huge, and at the height of it, he took his life and he left a note. He said, is this all there is? At the height of what people think they want. Peter, in giving a DNA marker of the new birth, says it marks you with a living hope. Now, Peter liked that word living. Uh, he, 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 remember at the great confession up there, the mountains. Who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In John chapter six, when Jesus fed the 5,000, they chased him around the lake and wanted him to feed them again. And he gave them a menu they didn't like. He said, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood. Remember they all left. And he turned to the 12, said, you're going to go too. And Peter said, to whom else should we go? You alone have the words of what? Life. Even in this epistle, he calls Christ the living stone, and you are living stones. There's something about that word Peter liked. And here he says he gives you a living hope. Why did he say that? Come close to me. If you put your hope in anything else other than God through Christ, your hope can die before you do. C.S. Lewis called it the peril of a false absolute. 
That is, you turn something else into the absolute in your life. I know some people who do that with a human relationship. And they ruin human relationships because they believe they're going to get everything in life out of that relationship. That's why some people become relationship junkies. They move from person to person to person. You say, I know I've met Mr. Right, and you find out he's only Mr. Half Right. <laughs> it can be true of a credential. Oh, if I could just get this credential, that's what life's about. It can be true of a job. It can be true of a career. You can name it. If it's anything short of birth from above through Christ, it's not a living hope. And the deadest of the dead are those whose hope dies before they do. <laughs> you probably heard it, may have heard it in a sermon, but it always striking to me. There's a, a Dr. Richter who did research with uh, Norwegian rats, both wild and domesticated rats. I don't know the difference, but he would drop them into a beaker of water. And he said the average rat could tread water about an hour and would just give up, sink. But said, if you rescued the rat, took it out, dried it all, gave it some mouth-to-mouse -mouth resuscitation or something, I don't know, and put it back in the water, it could tread water up to 24 hours. Because even that rat had a sense there was a way out. Now, one of the marks of the new birth is it gives you a hope that is living. Now, that, does that mean you don't, yes, you get depressed. Does it mean you don't have tribulation? Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Mark it. Job says you're born to trouble as sparks fly away. That's not what I'm saying. But behind that, under it, beneath it, through it, is a hope that you know nothing can touch. You know, God's been good to me. I get to fly around and preach. I hold a chair at a university. God's been good to me. But there's something I know in my heart. If all of that went away and I had to sit out on a tree stump, nothing could kill the hope in my heart. That's what the new birth does for you. Let me give you another marker. Marker number three. Did you see it here? One DNA marker, it's right here. This happens because you've experienced that power that comes. Here it is. You see it in the text. The power that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from among the dead. That's not just a historical story. You've tasted the power of that resurrection. Remember what Paul said in Romans 5, 10, if when you were enemies, you were reconciled to him by his death, how much more now will you be saved by his life? When I was a young Christian, I used to listen to Major Ian Thomas, deeper life speaker, military man's ramrod straight. He had this illustration. He'd take an empty white glove up to the pulpit. It's a very homely illustration. And he'd say, glove, pick up the Bible. He'd wag it around. 
almost like a children's sermon. Hey, glove, open the door, just wag it around. Obviously, he was demonstrating the impotence, the powerlessness of the glove, but then he very dramatically put that white glove on. You'd say everything that my hand can do, this glove can do. And he'd quote Romans 5.10, if you were an enemy, you were reconciled by his death. Now you're saved by his life. Come close to me. Almost any thinking person would say, if one time in this world full of graves and mausoleum, if one time somebody broke the chain of death against the wall of the sepulcher and hands stiff in death, eyes closed in death, tongue stopped in death, feet paralyzed in death, if they came out seeing, walking, touching, breathing, raised from the dead, that's the most powerful thing that ever happened in human history. And that's what happened in the resurrection of Jesus. It unleashed a power that I can taste right now. Now, let me put it this way. Uh, one of my hobbies is the studying the American president 110 years ago, Theodore Roosevelt, a great family man. He was a uh, a Christian believer. He was a statesman. He was an intellectual. He was an outdoorsman. So I like to read about him. I'm even a member of the Theodore Roosevelt Society. We meet every year and his great-grandson is the chair. We talk about Theodore and I, I like him. I've got his autograph, his wife Edith's autograph, his son Junior, his son Kermit. I've got, uh, I've even got an aftershave bottle where you unscrew his head. I mean, I, but, but, I did not wake up this morning in the hotel and say, oh, Theodore, <laughs> he's not there. But what I did when the light of day opened my eyes, I greeted the Lord Jesus because he's alive. And the DNA of the new birth means you experience him as a living presence, really there. Well, is there anything else? One more, and I'm going to sit down. Look at it. Here's, in some ways, the most interesting one. It says you're born again into an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, and you are guarded until you get the inheritance. Now, 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 now don't drag that word down to what it means in human inheritances. Oftentimes they cause a fight. You know, who's going to get grandmother's china? You know, don't drag the word down to a probate court. Lift it up to what it would mean when you're talking about an inheritance with God Himself. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. You have an inheritance. What is an inheritance? It's the legacy that's left after a faithful life. You have an inheritance with him. <laughs> now, a lot of times, humanly, inheritances are disappointing. I do need to tell you in, in, in disclosure this morning that uh, I am the heir. This is a very Texas thing. I, I'm the heir of the Gregory oil fortune. My inheritance is an oil inheritance. My Great aunt, paternal great aunt, Beulah Hornback, died 
She was a maiden lady. She had no will, so in American probate court, they had to find her 11 siblings, trace every one of their descendants, and we all got part of the oil inheritance. And every three months, I get my check, a bank check for less than the amount of the postage stamp. <laughs> That's the Gregory oil fortune. It was a bit of a disappointment when the first check came. Human inheritances can disappoint. Here's the thing about an inheritance. You've got to live long enough to get the inheritance and the people who are going to live it to you must not squander it before you get it. Two things can happen to inheritances. The people who are supposed to give them to you can ruin it, lose it, or you may not live to get it. And both of those are addressed here. You're being kept until your inheritance. And your inheritance is being guarded. Did you see the beautiful adjectives that describe it here? It can't be contaminated. It can't be defiled. It can't be stained. It can't be corrupted. Come close to me. I've lived long enough and preached long enough to know that all of life's Prizes are fading prizes. I've never held the hand of a man dying there in hospital or in a hospice and his last words were to point to me at some professional certificate and say, oh, I wish I had more of those. Not once. In the face of mortality and finitude, and the absolute end, nobody thinks like that. I, I left a church back in 1992 in the States, and, and I had my office packed up. And although I didn't know it, they packed my undergraduate and my seminary diplomas. And they had just vanished. They'd been, and two months ago, two months ago, 26 years later, I opened a box and there was my bachelor's degree and my master of divinity degree. They disappeared for 26 years. Well, I was astonished. Do you know what happened? In those boxes, in storage bins, both of them had faded. But that's just a figure of speech because everything that's mortal and finite will fade. One of the greatest sermons in the English language, I think, is preached by C.S. Lewis at St. Mary's Church in Oxford during the war. It's called The Weight of Glory. It's really about our inheritance, where we're headed. He said, you don't eat with mortals, you don't drink with mortals, you don't play with mortals, you don't love mortals, you're not sitting in these pews with mortals. Everyone is immortal. You're going to spend forever somewhere. He said, if you could be seen for what you would be as a believer, if someone at the other end of the pew could be seen for what he or she would be, it would be so glorious that if you saw it right now, you'd be tempted to fall on your knees. What does it say in first John? When you see him, you'll be made like him because you'll see him as he is. 
And he said, we're all moving toward an inheritance that is so glorious we couldn't describe it or so horrible you can hardly even find words for it. You're going to be around somewhere forever. Now here's where I wish I weren't standing up here. I wish I was sitting at a table with you having some tea or coffee and talking to you one on one. I don't have that privilege, but I, I do. I wish it was just you and me and I could ask you tenderly, but, but personally, do you bear these marks of new birth? I think this is a test that can be taken for the most part. Do you live your life with a sense of mercy? Are you still trying to deserve something? Say, so, you know, on the average, I'm about as good as most of the people sitting there. No, you can't mix merit and mercy. What about you? Are you comparing yourself? Or do you know your only hope is to throw yourself on God's mercy at the cross and say, I hope. I, I, I put my faith in that alone. That's mercy. What about hope? Do you have anything in your life that can survive everything else and you'd still have hope? Whatever happened to you, there's an anchor. Have you tasted the power of his resurrection? Is Jesus just like somebody else in a storybook, about the same as King Arthur or somebody a long time ago, or is he a presence to you? And do you live with a sense in a place I don't see yet? I've got a portion. I've got an inheritance. Now, that's a test you can take. Sometimes that may be duller, sometimes brighter, but you know what I'm talking about. It's a reality to you. Somebody else, if you're real honest, somebody here out of the hundreds and hundreds of people here, Somebody say, you know, Joel, that's, that's all honesty. I, I don't identify with that. All of us started that way. But you can today. You can take the first step toward that. Uh, there's some friends here and uh, the consolidation team. I'm going to ask them to come take their places wherever they are. Just stand among you. They've got some, uh, they've got some uh, little pamphlets here. They, they can't do it for you, but they'll do it with you. The consolidation team is here and there. And I'm going to ask you this as they're standing here, not standing over you, standing with you because they needed what you need just like you need it. If there's someone here who'd say, and I know there is, there's not just one somebody, but another somebody who'd say, I really want to know more about that. They, 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 they can't stand up for you, but uh, they've got something to give you and they can stand with you. You say, well, why can't, couldn't we just be a little more private about this? You know, it's an interesting thing what the scripture says. It says if you're going to experience this new birth, you have to believe it in your heart. But you also have to 
Confess it with your mouth. There's an element of saying yes. That is I. These friends are stationed around here and I'm going to ask this right now. I'm going to ask you to have the boldness not to wait, but I'm going to ask you right now to say, you know, to the Lord and say to me, one another, just by standing up right where you are, I want to know more about this and these members of this team can't do it for you, but they'll stand here with you. Right now, if that's you, just stand up. In this balcony around, on this lower floor, just stand to your feet. If this is worth anything, it's worth the seriousness of saying, I'm going to stand up right here. I'm going to claim this. We're going to wait for you a moment while believers are praying. Because right now, I'm absolutely certain there's at least a half dozen people here who need to stand up. You might be seated next to somebody. They'd squeeze your hand and say, I'll just stand up with you, but you need to stand up right now. We're going to pray. We're going to wait. These friends are here. Would you stand up wherever you are? Yes. I want to know the experience of that kind of hope. I want to know that kind of future certainty. I want to enter into that right now. Who's going to stand up right now where you are? Because once you do this, it will always have a public dimension. They're not any secret disciples. Uh, and you might say, well, I know, I know, I know all about, uh, I know all about church and there's hypocrites there and I know all about preachers and some of them are hypocrites. Some people think they know everything about it, but you're not going to be dealing with me or other preachers you're going to be dealing with the living God. So this isn't a matter of what you think about churches or denominations. It's what you think about your relationship to the living God. Would you stand? Yes. Somebody else? All right. Just this moment, one of these helpers is here to give you this, to hand it to you, not standing over you, but standing with you. I'm going to ask the ministry of this church to come right now to this platform and in their own way to take this appeal and to forward this service. And I trust that every single one of you would leave here today marked with the markers of new birth from above. God bless you and keep you. Thank you.